Queen Victoria, now I know you are very familiar with all your queens and the order, think late 19th century, late 19th century, Queen Victoria, after attending a service at St. Paul's Cathedral, which is the big cathedral in London, she heard a great sermon and she inquired of her local chaplain, her, her personal chaplain, she had like, how could anyone know that they can be, that they're saved? How can they be assured of their salvation? And this, the, the local, cha- her personal chaplain said, well, I know of no way that anyone could be assured that they're saved. And so this interaction between her and their chaplain was posted mostly because Queen Victoria wants to know the answer to this question, was posted on the, the court news, which is like in the local paper, and sent out to London. And a local minister named John Townsend, after reading the interaction and the inadequate response to the queen, he wrote to her and said, to her gracious majesty, our beloved Queen Victoria, from one of her most humble subjects, with trembling hands, but heart-filled love, and because I know that we can be absolutely sure to know for our eternal life and home that Jesus went to prepare, may I ask your most gracious majesty to read the following passage of Scripture. John 3.16, Romans 10.9-10. I sign myself your servant for Jesus' sake, John Townsend. And then he prayed along with others, that the queen would have find assurance in Jesus Christ. Two weeks later, the queen wrote back to John and said to John Townsend, I have carefully and prayerfully read the portions of scripture referred to. I believe in the finished work of Christ for me and trust by God's grace to meet you in that home of which he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Amen to that. Two things interesting. She didn't say, I want to meet you now. She says, I'll meet meet you on the other side. But then after that, after she prayed, she was known to pass out this pamphlet to everyone she met. This pamphlet written by George Cutter was safety called Safety, Certainty, and Enjoyment. And it is a passage, a little pamphlet that talks about the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. Because that's what Queen found in Jesus. Safety, certainty, and enjoyment. The crowd that was following Jesus, the crowd that had just been miraculously fed in that 5,000, right, or or more, we know, it was just 5,000 men, but it was no, maybe 10,000 people, miraculously fed. They wanted assurance of who Jesus was. They saw what he just did. They heard his incredible authoritative preaching, this power behind this humble man. They wanted assurances of who he was. In John 6, 30, it says, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now, he had just fed over 5,000 plus people miraculously. And they're asking, okay, I need some more. Tell me a little bit about more about who you are. Show me what's another sign that I may believe that I can trust you. What is the assurance that I can have to know who you are? What assurance do you need from God? What did it take for you to believe in Jesus? 
what will it take for you to believe? We are funny people when it comes to trust, belief, and assurances. Right? Some things in our life we don't even question. We just trust. I was just thinking about like, uh, like toothpaste. I've never questioned the validity and the science behind toothpaste. Just, my dentist tells me to do it. Seems reasonable. And then, you know, when you go to the toothpaste aisle, there's not just one toothpaste. There's a zillion. Of, I mean, there's like a whitening toothpaste. Yeah, I believe that whitens my teeth. Right? The, the tartar, I, I believe it all. I, I, I bet you if you looked at them, most of them have the exact same ingredients. But we are funny people like that. We just trust some things blindly, and each of us are just different in what we trust and don't trust. And then sometimes we question everything and refuse to trust or believe someone or something. Some of us will, on social media will believe anything. <laughs> and some of us will question everything, even if it's a personal photo. Like, I don't believe that. Like, it is weird how we are. Sometimes we are stingy and refuse to trust, and sometimes we just blindly trust. Here's the thing. I think God knows this about us. In fact, I know it. He knows it about us. He knows our hearts. The crowd that just saw a miraculous feeding heard his powerful and authoritative teaching, and yet they are still asking I need more assurance. I need more evidence. Can you tell me more? Can you give me something more? We need more evidence. We need more proof. We need more assurance before we can trust. Here's the thing about trust. Everyone in the world will tell you, trust is always earned. Everyone will tell you that. Trust is always earned. And that is what the crowd is asking Jesus. Earn our trust. Earn it. But here's what the gospel will tell you. Trust is never earned. It's always given. That's the good news. Trust is only... Here's what I'm talking about in, in just a personal relationship. I am not... Hear this very clear. I am not saying you should trust everyone. There are times you should not trust people. But in a relationship, personal relationship, right, someone could, well, we will always break trust. You will always break trust. If you live in that relationship, like, I am not going to trust that person again until they earn it, there might be a time that they actually think, okay, if they've done enough, I will trust them. But there could also be time they could be perfect, and you might never give them trust. Because here's the thing, trust is always dependent on whether you give it or not. It's always given. But it goes actually deeper with us. I want you to hold on to that. How do we trust Jesus? It goes deeper than that. It is given, just not by us. Just not by us. The gospel is this. Hear it clearly. God so loved, he gives. God's love is so immense, it just overflows in who he is, and he overflows in generosity and gives and gives and gives and gives. It's just who he is. It's, the good news is not that we believe. I want you to hear that very clearly. The good news is not that we trust or that we give our trust. 
our belief and generosity and our trust, our response to the gospel that God loves and he gives. John 3.16 makes it so clearly, just as Queen Victoria heard it, for God so loved the world, that's all the cosmos, everything, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Father gives. In this passage we read this morning, the Father gives two things. The Father gives the true bread of heaven. He gives Jesus. He gives Jesus to those he loves. And also the Father gives people to Jesus. Did you hear that? The Father gives Jesus to people. He gives the true bread of heaven. And then the Father gives people to his Son, to Jesus. This is what the Father does out of his immense love for his Son and for his people. I'm going to say this over and over. Remember the context. This is a crowd that witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. And they're asking, more evidence. I need more. Jesus responds to that, to their question of what work will you perform for us to believe? Jesus responds to this in verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Think about it. He's actually saying, you just saw a miraculous feeding in the wilderness. Now I'm going to point you back. You ask the question, what more do I need to see? Show me more. Let me point you back to, to the past. Our Father saved us, saved our people, saved his people out of Egypt from slavery miraculously. And then he fed them miraculously as he had bread from heaven come down, as it rained from heaven. This is miraculous. This, and we say, this is temporal. God saved you us temporally for a moment, gave us freedom, and he nourished us temporally for a moment with actual food on earth. This is what God our Father provided. Exodus 16, 14, just in case you don't remember. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Rain down. I like that imagery. In verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you. That, that, this, is, this is the word amen, right? Pay attention. This is the truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you that bread from heaven, but my father. Now, this is interesting. It's not Moses. Like, here's the point. It was God, not Moses, that gave you that bread. And then he transitions to something not temporal, but he says this. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. All right, now he's changing his subject. That was the past. My father right now gives you the true bread of heaven. It wasn't a human. It wasn't a human that gave you bread. It was God. Notice the switch. It's not temporal. This is an eternal provision for you. This bread is everlasting nourishment for you. This is better than what God did in the wilderness for his people out of Egypt. 
This is bigger. In verse 33, For the bread is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They are looking for a sign, aren't they? They're looking for a work, and they're looking for a miracle. And Jesus is clearly telling them, I am that miracle. You're looking for a miracle? You're looking me to do something? I am actually the work of the Father. I am that miracle. I am that sign. I am that bread. I am the nourishment. I am the true bread. I am the everlasting bread. When he says, I am this, this, this true bread, it reminds me, I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. If you haven't read C.S. Lewis, read C.S. Lewis. But this is my favorite book of all time, The Great Divorce. It's not about marriage. Right? It is about the divorce between heaven and hell and really uh, earth is in between. But how heaven is the real real. It's the thing that's really true, and everything else is untrue or faked or just a shadow in comparison to it. So like the people, this is the great imagery, the people in the story of his people in hell get to take a trip to heaven. That's the basic story of it. And so uh, some of them accept, some of them reject. But when they get there, the people are like our are, are, are race or ghosts compared in, when they get to, to heaven. Because heaven is so real that that grass penetrates them. Because the grass is so real, it doesn't crush in their feet. It pierces them. Because the grass in heaven is more real than they are. That's what Jesus says. I am the real thing. I am true. I am. He says two things. I come down from heaven, like the bread in the wilderness, and I give eternal life. Who else has eternal life but God? He goes on in verse 34. Uh, they go on. They said to him, sir... Give us this bread always. Right, this, is a, this is an appropriate response. It's like the woman at the well when Jesus offered this water that they will never, uh, you never get uh, thirsty again for. She said, give me that water. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but give us this bread and which will nourish us forever. Yeah, will give us eternal life. But here's the thing. They just missed the point. They were asking for a sign. They're thinking, oh, you have actual bread that will actually... Feed us and give us eternal life. Give us that bread. But Jesus has just made the point, I am that bread. I'm here with you, me. You have eternal life. I am the sign. I am what you seek after. And then verse 35, Jesus said to him, again, again, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I mean, now Jesus is giving a little heavy-handed. Like, I've got to repeat this for some of you because you're a little slow. I am the sign. I am the bread. I am the one that gets eternal life. Now, he's not saying eat me personally. That's not the point, right? He says, whoever comes to me will not hunger. Comes. Whoever comes will not hunger because they'll have eternal life. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. I want you to hold on to these two things here. The coming and the believing. The coming to Jesus and believing to Jesus are the same thing. Jesus says in a different way. 
You come to me, you'll not hunger. You believe in me, you will not thirst. It's the same thing when you come and when you believe. I want you to hold on to this understanding of coming to Jesus is trusting and believing to Jesus. This is going to be important later on. And then verse 36. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Right? This, this hammers the point home. I am the true bread. I am the sign. You ask for a sign. I am the sign. And you do not believe me. You do not trust me. You do not come to me. You're looking for something else. I am the bread and I am the provision. You do not see me and you do not believe me. Sometimes in our life, right, we ask God for prayer. We ask for very specific things and then we wait to see, right? How is God going to fulfill this ask? And maybe we wonder, how is God working in our lives? What is he doing in this world? Here's the point that Jesus points to over and over again. It's actually how God interacts with people when they ask this question. Remember what I've done. Remember what I have done. In the Old Testament, it's always like, I am the God that saved you out of Egypt when they questioned him. You remember what I did? If, if, you're, if you can't see or understand what's going on right now, remember what I have done. Remember my power. Remember my promises in which I said I will do. Here's the thing, right? We all struggle to see at times. We all struggle to see how God's working, particularly in our own lives. How is God working in me? How is he changing me? 2020 hindsight is absolutely true. We all have perfect vision when we look backwards, and that's what God's saying. Like, see what I have done. You don't understand what I'm doing right now, and I man, I don't expect you to. But hold on to what I have done for you already. He has acted in Jesus. For us, we don't have to go back to Egypt to see how God's done. We, what has Jesus done? He's died. And he is resurrected. He has come back to life. He has defeated death. He is the provision. He is the sign. He is eternal life. The gospel is God so loves that he gives. The first thing that God gives, the Father gives the bread. The true bread. He gives Jesus to his people. The second thing that he gives here is that he gives people to his son. He gives people to his son. He gives, another way we could say that, he gives the elect. Well, that's a scary word, isn't it? He gives the elect to Jesus. Another way we could say the elect, he, God gives his chosen. That's how he refers to his people in the Old Testament. The chosen people. I mean, God makes choices because he has a will, and he chooses his people to give to his Son. In John 6, 37, all the Father gives me, Jesus says, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I want to say that again. All the Father gives to me will come to me. What, is, what does come mean? How did Jesus equate that? Will trust in me. Will believe in me. 
And whoever comes to me, whoever trusts to me, I will never cast out. Where are you in that? Where, where is your will in that? Where is your action in that? It's not there, is that in those sentences? It is, the Father gives, the Son receives, the Son doesn't cast out. This is what God's work, because that's the gospel. It is God's work for us. I just had used a, a hard word, the elect. I want to hear this very clearly for us. Election is not salvation. What? Election precedes salvation. If you want to think of a linear time frame, God chooses the elect. God gives the elect, his people, to his son. Election is for salvation. All those that are chosen will be saved. What is salvation? Jesus comes. Jesus bears our sins. Jesus dies for our sins. Jesus gives us his righteousness. Jesus dies and, and, and conquers death. Gives us his righteousness and we live forever. That's salvation. And then God gives us his Holy Spirit. Election is not salvation, but it precedes salvation. What God decides and chooses will happen for his people. If you are elect, you are saved. Not by your choice, not by your will, but by the Father's will and action for you. If you are chosen, if you are elected, you will be given by the Father Jesus. I know there's many questions about this. I'm not going to answer all of them. Feel free to have a conversation with me, but this is a sermon about assurance. This is a sermon about what Jesus has done and you to rest in that certainty. All the Father gives to the Son will come to Jesus. Everyone. And they will believe. And Jesus will not let them go. Jesus will not let them go. You and I will ebb and flow. But he will not let you go. All that come are the same thing as all that believe and trust. All that come, Jesus will never cast out. I can't just, I want you to hear that and let it flood over. Let that rain down upon you as God's provision on your heart. As I know, it is a struggle at times to trust God. I know it's a struggle at times to believe in him. In all that I see and experience in the world, all the evil that I, I see and hear in my own heart, I know, man, man, if it was up to me and my actions, I am not saved. I am a broken person. I am a dreadful person. Hear this clearly. God loves and he gives you to his son. And the son holds you tightly. You come and you trust. This is the triune God's work. Hear this in Titus 3, 5 through 6. He, God, saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, 
God puts his Holy Spirit and we begin to renew your heart, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Did you hear that? God gives the Holy Spirit through his Son to us. Triune God, one God doing this for us. I'm not saying there's nothing we do. There is a response. But the response is God's work in our hearts. Let's go to verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, this is the will of the Father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Now, I think we could just hear these words and just pull them out of context. Like, wow, these are pretty powerful words. Jesus is saying this to people. They're asking for certainty and assurance. These are big-time concepts and words that he's saying. The Father has sent me. And the will of the Father is that I should lose nothing that he has given me. And what has he given me? People. And I will lose no one. And in fact, I'm not going to lose anyone. On the last day, on the end of the earth, I'm going to resurrect them. They're going to be resurrected. They don't understand that now. We see this on hindsight after Jesus has been resurrected. Oh, you mean resurrection. You mean resurrection. The will of the Father loses no one that the Father has given him, and Jesus will raise up. Two things. He loses no one, and he will raise them up. And what do we also know about Jesus? He always does what the Father wills. Why? Because they're one. They have the same will. It's not a different will. It's not like the Father checks with Jesus, do you, do you will the same thing I'm willing? No, it's the same. There's the same God. In John 5, 19, Jesus says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, once again, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. I hope you hear this very clearly. I, hope, I don't want you to get confused in all this. This is assurance. This is the preservation of his saints, of God's people, that God so loves us that he gives us. He gives us trust in him. He gives us the ability to come to him. He gives us the heart to actually turn to him. This is God's work that's not dependent upon you and I. Praise be to God. You are God's work. You are God's masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10. And one of my favorite verses that I hold on to in Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, Paul says, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It means that God started a work in you because he gave you to the Son. Jesus holds on to you. He will finish you. He will... Does it say you will finish it? He will finish it. You are God's work. This does not mean, do not hear this, that you're just going to be passive and sit back. That's not how the Holy Spirit works in us, right? There's an active participation in this. We do work. This, this is what Queen Victoria heard, right, when she said, the safety and certainty and enjoyment. There is joy when you know what Jesus is doing to you, what Jesus has done for you. That there is a safety in that. There is a certainty in that. And there is a joy in that truth that God reveals clearly in scriptures. Friends, brothers and sisters, rest assured, 
rest assured, God loves and he gives. He's given us Jesus. He's given us Jesus, the true bread of heaven, everlasting nourishment, eternal life. And he's given us to Jesus. He's given Jesus to us, and he's given us to Jesus. Hear this clearly. The Father gives and gives and gives and gives. It's because it's who he is. The Father gives and we come. The Father gives and we come. But also in this passage, right, we come. We heard that clearly. We come. But even in this passage, the coming, Jesus models this coming for us. He doesn't say, okay, come. Now figure out what it means to come and trust Jesus. He models it. Jesus models what it means to trust the Father. In John 6, and 38, for the bread of God is he, Jesus, who comes down, comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. For Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is that miracle, and he is the sign, and he is the provision in which they're asking for. And what does this coming do? He's laying down. He doesn't have to do this, but he's modeling. I lay down my will to do the will of him who sent me. You and I lay down our broken will, our broken desires, and we go after the desires of the Father because he gives us these new desires. We didn't have them before. This is what God does for you. It doesn't work the other way around. It doesn't work that, hey, we can just come to Jesus. No, no. Jesus has first come to us because the Father has given him to us. Then we can come to Jesus. Then and only then can we come to Jesus. It doesn't work the other way around. It doesn't work that we go to Jesus and Jesus goes, oh, oh yeah, I'm going to come to you. That's not the way it works. In verse 35, Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life who comes Whoever comes to me, right, he's modeled this, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Our coming, our coming looks like belief and trust. Our coming looks like belief and trust, which is a gift of God that he gives us. I told you that trust is never earned. It's always given. The Father actually gives us trust so we can trust in Jesus. Because he loves us. He gives us the ability to trust him, to come to Jesus. Now you may be asking, but how much do I need to trust? Because there's levels of trust, isn't there? I, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know about you, but I have these levels of trust, right? And there's a scale of trust. And how much do I need to trust the Father? How much do I need to trust Jesus for I can be assured of my salvation? Well, here's the clear thing I hope you heard this morning. It does not depend on you. It doesn't depend on your fickle heart. Because if it depended on you, your trust would never be enough. But God loves and he gives. So even Jesus puts out like there's a mustard seed. The mustard seed of faith. The thing that is the smallest seed that they knew of in that time, that, that smallest seed 
will grow into this large plant. It's, it's not in you to trust. It is my gift to you to trust because I chose you. There's a certainty in that. There's any inkling that you have come to Jesus, that you have professed his faith, as Roman 10.10 says, right? If you profess him as Lord, you are saved because God gave you that ability to say it, to believe it, to know it in your heart. And so maybe you have doubts in your life. Well, join the club. Maybe your faith ebbs and flows in your life. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon the gift in which God has given you and which he'll grow and which he'll work in you. You are his work. You are his work. If God is working, he has given you to Jesus. And Jesus will not lose you. He will raise you up. He will raise you up. He is the miracle. Period. He is the provision. And he is the sign. That mustard seed of faith which ebbs and flows in our life is a sign, is a sign that he has you. And he will not lose you. You might lose sight of him. You might not see for a moment what he's doing or how he's doing it. But he has you. Jesus is our safety. Jesus is our certainty. And in all the things in the world which he's given us to enjoy, he is our enjoyment. Our belief, our trust, our ability is not our safety. It's not our certainty. Our belief is not our enjoyment. He is. The gospel is. Jesus is. Period. Exclamation point. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for this certainty and for this word. I thank you for your love and this gift of this mustard seed of, of faith and trust that ebbs and flows in my own heart. And Lord, if there's, if there's someone in here that is in doubt or struggling, Lord, give them the assurance that you have them. That's not dependent upon them. That you love them. Give them the courage to say that you are Lord. In the midst of the chaos of their own heart in this world, give them the certainty, the assurance, the safety, and the enjoyment that you are Lord, and you are God, and that you have them. Renew that in all of us today, Lord. Praise be to God. And all God's people said, Amen.